This episode is brought to you by Rockstar Energy Drink. Be honest, are you procrastinating by listening to this podcast? It's okay. You just need Rockstar Focus. Choose from three delicious flavors, each crafted with ingredients for an ideal energy and mental boost, like lion's mane, 200 milligrams of caffeine, and zero sugar. Visit rockstarenergy.com to learn more. At least 75 milligrams of caffeine has been shown to help improve attention. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Caroline of Brunswick! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. Follow us on Twitter or X and Instagram where we are at RexFactorPod. Email RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com and sign up for bonus content at Patreon.com forward slash RexFactor. Now this week, as you've heard, we are reviewing Caroline of Brunswick, the wife and Queen consort to George IV, a.k.a. the Prince Regent, a.k.a. Hugh Laurie and Blackadder. Brilliant. Finally. Yeah. And I can really place. I seem to have spent ages in that world, you know, in, <laughs> oh, yeah. that, in that kitchen, in that living room. I, I know it well. Well, she's one of the most uh, notorious consorts in English history, a famously unhappy marriage, but where will our sympathies lie and how will it affect Caroline's hopes of getting the Rex Factor? Oh, no. <laughs> I worry. I do worry. Biography! Caroline was born on the 17th of May, 1768, in Brunswick, which is Lower Saxony in modern-day Germany, about 40 miles east of Hanover. Uh, relative to the last Strelitz, how, and what are we talking? It's still still small, but it's a bit bigger than Strelitz. It's a bit more notable. She's the daughter of Carl II, the Duke of Brunswick, who's a renowned soldier, which obviously adds a certain lustre. Mm-hmm. And Princess Augusta of Britain, the sister of George III. How funny. It's weird to hear it uh, <laughs> yeah. here. Of of yeah caroline had comfortable if slightly odd upbringing her education was largely neglected so her spelling and grammar was so bad that she required a secretary from quite an early age nice uh yet she spent 16 hours a week with her harpsichord master aye aye no suggestions of that in this particular instance but uh you, you might be oi oi in quite a few times in this episode okay well i'll i'll put my oi oi back in the bag in this case, she was just unnecessarily skilled at the harpsichord and very little else. <laughs> She's loved by her parents, but complains of being treated like a shuttlecock, passing between them in their estrangement after her father installed an official mistress. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, oh, that's um, a common complaint, isn't it? She was a vivacious character with a visitor in 1786 when she was 18, describing her as being most amiable, lively, playful, witty and handsome. Nice. However, she's kept on a leash by her parents, confined to her room when the family are entertaining, and often refuse permission to attend balls. Oh, goodness me. Is it the German character? <laughs> I mean, is this enough evidence to um, start banding around some proper xenophobia? <laughs> What's going on? Let's get cracking with these national stereotypes. That's three episodes <laughs> in a row. Come on. <laughs> but that is... That is, these guys aren't even related, are they? Is this just a thing people did? Her resistance to these constraints uh, leads some to question if she's entirely uh, sane. So there's one occasion where Caroline sent a messenger to her parents reporting that she was seriously ill whilst they were at a ball she wasn't allowed to. So they rushed away to her bed, closed down the ball, uh, found her screaming hysterically about being in labour and needing a midwife. Uh, but as soon as the midwife arrived, Caroline jumped out of bed laughing and said, Now, madam, will you keep me another time from the ball? <laughs> That's not mad. That's boredom. <laughs> well, yeah. But <laughs> most people just sit there and be miserable. 
I like her, Graham. <laughs> she's trouble and I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she's still considered a good marriage prospect, so she has a range of princes and dukes interested in her. Her mother is particularly angling after an English match, so insisted that, if nothing else, learns English, and is disappointed when Caroline's just a little bit too young when the Duke of York visits in 1781. However, none of these potential suitors actually follow through, so heading into the 1790s, Caroline's sort of getting into her mid-twenties and prospects starting to look a little bit bleak. Mm. But then, unexpectedly, she receives the plum proposal of the Prince of Wales, eldest son of George III, to the future George IV. What? 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 <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. Well, it comes as something of a surprise to everybody, really, because George is infamously dissolute and he'd shown no sign of wanting to settle down in a respectable marriage. And not only that, it's an open secret that he'd actually already married back in 1785 to Maria Fitzherbert, who is a Catholic widow, though technically because he hadn't sought the king's approval, that marriage would be considered invalid. Doesn't really have any interest in, in uh, a proper arranged marriage. However, by 1794, George is heavily in debt. Mm. And the king refuses to bail him out again unless he marries, which also has the benefit of entitling him to more money under the civil list, if he has a wife to support. Do, would you like to go up a level, by the one? So, George announces to his father that he intends to marry. So, the king says that besides the fact that it needs to be a Protestant princess, his choice would be unfettered. George had already decided, so he told his father, It is made, the daughter of the Duke of Brunswick. Now, this choice pleases the king, despite the fact that this obviously means that George and Caroline are cousins. Right, yeah, yeah. Because it's his favourite sister, George, so he's like, great, keep it in the family. Right. But even so, he does uh, nevertheless urge his son to undertake some inquiries as to her character to make sure that they be well matched and that she's suitable. Uh, but apparently George just couldn't be bothered with that and grumbled that uh, one damn German Frau is as good as another. So he is this. does he know anything about her? Or is that genuinely his opinion? Or is he just winding his dad up? No, he, I don't think he tells his dad that. I think he sort of puts across that he's made a respectable decision to his dad. In reality, he needs to marry to clear his debts, but he's got no taste for an arranged marriage whatsoever. He's sort of a romantic at heart. So he doesn't really like the idea. So he sort of rather petulantly just says, oh, it doesn't matter. Is she Protestant? Is she a princess? Is she about the right age? That will do. Okay, because he, he, his intention then is just to carry on having mistresses. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. Nevertheless, though, as we'll see, perhaps might have been worth checking. <laughs> this is George III is the dad here, yeah? Yes, I'm referring yeah. to him as the king and George IV as yeah. George, just to make it a bit easier to know who we're talking Thanks. about. So, George sends the Earl of Malmesbury to Brunswick to complete the legal formalities and then to bring Caroline to England. So, on first meeting Caroline, Malmesbury described a pretty face, not expressive of softness, her figure not graceful, good hand, tolerable teeth, but going, fair hair and light eyebrows, good bust, short. Okay. <laughs> M.O.T. <Full laughs> yes. history, you know. Got a few uh, ambers there that you might need to think yeah. about, but probably that will pass. <laughs> yeah. And after all, it does retain value. So, you know. Okay, good. Well, in truth, actually, there are quite a few reds uh, when Malmesbury gets there, because although he finds her to be very humorous and well-meaning, and he quite, quite likes her in a way, he does have quite a few concerns about her. So she had no judgment, was very gauche at cards, speaks without thinking, and was somewhat indelicate in her language. My word, they're they're proper reds for George the Third, aren't they? Is he is he the recipient of this news, or is it George the Fourth that's the recipient? Well, of it's not news. This is just Malmesbury recording stuff. The problem is that it's all a bit too late, really, because we're at the point of him saying, uh, "Here's yeah. the proposal." This isn't the mm. "let's just check" stage. This is the. By the way, you know your wife is a is a, a grenade socialist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, they've got to uh, travel back from Brunswick to England, of course, so Malmesbury basically just tries to correct as many shortcomings as possible on the way and gives Aye. her various lectures, which he sort of listens to quite gracefully but doesn't entirely seem to actually take any of it on board. So he Fluent in English? Is it, she, I know she speaks English, but is there any... Uh, heavy English, heavy German accent, but yeah, she, right. does, she does speak English. Mm -hmm. um, and French, I think mainly French. 
Anyway, Malmesbury advises her to avoid seeking popularity, which she'd said she was very keen to be popular, um, and in fact urges her to keep perfect silence on all subjects for six months. Gosh. I come to England, keep your head down, stay quiet, and just just do nothing for six months. There's some follow-on questions to that, aren't there? If, you, if that's the deal, like, <laughs> right. Um, is this prison? It sounds a bit prisony. <laughs> He tried to imbue sort of some polite formalities, something for which George is something of a stickler. Uh, and he was horrified when she sent him a bloody tooth that she had just extracted. Good God. Hmm. What is she? Some sort of... <laughs> What's it called? That that Shane Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, Shane Spielberg thing with the, the blue people. You know, Atlantis and they're all they're after the unobtainium and all that. Avatar. Avatar. James Cameron. Um, you said, I'd imagine they'd probably send teeth in that. <laughs> I don't know But it's a weird thing to do Yes, that's Malmesbury's I mean, that's as reaction. good an explanation as any Yeah, Malmesbury's reaction is also That's a weird thing to do And not the sort of thing that we do in polite society Did, did we ever did, I mean, did she ever explain herself? Just thought you'd be interested Oh my gosh, I really like this person <laughs> <gasps> Most troubling is her lack of hygiene Oh dear Malmesbury observed that she rarely washed and her underclothes and thread stockings were rarely changed, and thought that her education in this regard had been amazingly lacking. Oh dear. Okay, so we're back to the, back to the mental health thing. I thought she was just really, but she was just Dennis the Menace, Minnie the Minx, or whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, there might be a bit of um, neglect. She was neglected, wasn't she? Yeah, I mean, her mother's sort of not thought to be particularly sensible either, and I guess her father does care about her a lot, but equally is busy being an army man and not giving a lot of time so perhaps some of the finer points have been neglected golly I mean the most basic points well indeed yes anyway they get to England in April 1795 and George doesn't actually bother to come and greet Caroline at Greenwich where she lands so instead he sends his new mistress Lady Jersey whom he's tactlessly appointed to run Caroline's household oh that's just spiteful isn't it there's no need for that right Lady Jersey is an hour late criticises Caroline for what she's wearing and then tried to sit alongside her in the carriage, sort of implying that they were equals until Malmesbury sort of almost literally puts her in her place. Wow. When Caroline finally does meet George later that day, it is not a success, as Malmesbury relates. I introduced the Princess Caroline to him. She very properly attempted to kneel to him. He raised her gracefully enough and embraced her, said barely one word, turned round retired to a distant part of the apartment, and calling me to him, said, Horace, I'm not well. Pray get me a glass of brandy. (laughs) I said to him, Sir, had you not better have a glass of water? Upon which he, much out of humour, said with an oath, No, I will go directly to the Queen. And away he went. The Queen? His mother. Because he's still Prince George at this point, so... Mm. Caroline, understandably, was not particularly impressed with this first meeting of her Mm. future husband. So she said to Malmesbury, My God, does the prince always act like this? I think he's very fat and he's nothing like as handsome as his portrait. Uh, Yeah, so this is is an inauspicious start. Indeed. Uh, Things get worse at dinner that night where Caroline, seemingly forgetting everything Malmesbury had tried to impart to her on the way to England, uh, was in high spirits, rattling, affecting raillery and wit, and throwing out coarse, vulgar hints about Lady Jersey, who was present. Okay. George is not amused. Nevertheless, it's quids in now. They are still to wed. Uh, Caroline was observed to be in the highest spirits on the day of the wedding, chatting to his brother William, future William IV. But George was observed to be utterly lost, declaring before getting to the chapel that he would never love any woman but Fitzherbert. And then during the ceremony, was very clearly drunk, and at one point abruptly stood up in the middle of a prayer. <laughs> right. <laughs> he continued to drink to his sorrows, and uh, Caroline later observed that he passed the greatest part of his bridal night under the grate where he fell, and where I left him. I mean, I, in a funny sort of way, I think they're they're well matched. They're almost too well matched, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're just they're they've they're like um, uh, Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson in bottom. <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah, so George basically falls asleep in the fireplace. Um, still, the following morning, he plied himself with more alcohol, as he put it, to conquer my person and overcome the disgust of her person. <laughs> oh God, I'm not, I'm definitely not laughing at that um, at that description. But your impression is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 they can only look Georgian with <laughs> yeah. that accent. Yeah, so he uh, applies some Dutch courage, and uh, the marriage is duly consummated. Oh, I see. Right. It does have to be yeah. done. Uh, he was apparently disgusted by her gasping, Ah, mon Dieu, qu'il est gros, when he undressed. You are fat? Uh, no, it is large. Oh. To which he subsequently said, how should she know this without a previous means of comparison? <laughs> You're really looking to get offended there, aren't you? And presumably, in, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, of all the things to get upset about. <laughs> yeah. And presumably in reference to her lack of hygiene, he reported himself disgusted by such marks of filth, both in the fore and hind part of her, that she turned my stomach. And from that moment, I made a vow never to touch her again. I mean, yeah. That's, that's, yes. It would be off-putting. Mm. For her part, Caroline implied that the ground of his antipathy was his own incapacity to do the deed. So That's also very possible, isn't it? Especially after boozing so much. Perhaps it took him a couple of goes to going but still you gotta you gotta have a you gotta have a shower you gotta have a wash nevertheless in january 1796 a daughter princess charlotte is born god brilliant so he didn't have to <laughs> no he very, very much job done tick mm. never again uh so unfortunately this doesn't bring them any closer uh, a mere three days later george makes out his will bequeathing his worldly property to the wife of his heart and soul Maria Fitzherbert, while to her who is called the Princess of Wales, he left just one shilling. I don't know where this spiteful bit comes from, because they're both like, it feels like they're both their characters could settle into a, a sort of amicable like they both don't want to be it but they're in this both boat and they could rub along, they don't need the spiteful bit Truly he's probably upset with himself if you were to reflect on it, but he's I think resents the fact that he's found himself in this position of being married to someone that you absolutely didn't want to get married with. He spent all this time, you know, not wanting to get married and not wanting the marriage to be arranged, has a bit of a strop, marries randomly to clear his debts and then thinks, Oh my of all the people in the world I could have picked. Yeah. And just resents her for that. So yes, it probably is his own fault, frankly, but nevertheless they do not get on. After Charlotte's birth, they stop living together, and Caroline finds herself once again living a very restricted life, barred from visiting anyone without George's permission, and describing herself a most unhappy woman. She's locked her up again. Sort of, yes, and he humiliates her by parading Lady Jersey as his mistress in public, whilst refusing even to appear in public with Caroline. Even the pretense of amicable relations was too much for him. Doesn't really paint him in a great light. No. And his his uh, hostility to her is only increased by the fact that Caroline quickly becomes very popular with the public, who uh, see her as the wronged wife, whilst Lady Jersey is jeered and has stones thrown at her. And that's a role I imagine she could really take to. Hmm. She could sort of <laughs> revel in that a bit. Remember, Malmesbury um, had been saying, no, 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 I wouldn't worry about trying to be popular. That's not a good idea. Yeah, because they're never going to see um, her kecks. <laughs> In 1797, the king finally agrees to a formal separation. Uh, so Caroline oh. leaves Carlton House. I mean, he resisted for a while, but eventually it gets bad enough. She's like, OK, OK, she can move out. So Caroline leaves uh, Carlton House and moves into her own abode at Montague House in Blackheath. So just outside of London at this point. At Caroline's request, George writes uh, terms of their new marriage, or rather their separation, so their new state of relationship, um, in which he acknowledges that... Our inclinations are not in our power, nor should either of us be held answerable for the other, because nature has not made us suitable to each other. As we have completely explained ourselves to each other, the rest of our lives will be passed in uninterrupted tranquillity. Well, I mean, you could have that's that's sort of the agreement I was suggesting they made. Well, exactly, and Caroline's delighted because obviously she assumes she can now essentially just do whatever she wants. Yeah, and so she does throws raucous parties and behaves with wanton abandon. 
So apparently she would make wax effigies of George at the dinner table before stabbing them with pins and then melting them down. Played host mm-hmm. prominent politicians on both sides of the house, engaged in raucous parlour games, flirts outrageously with numerous men. Most of the family are pretty horrified by her behaviour, because although it's a separation, she is still the Princess of Wales and future Queen Consort, and there really is this sense of, like, she is just not appropriate, and George just thinks, let's dissolve this marriage, just get rid of her, she's terrible. Really? Right. However, Caroline always behaves appropriately in the company of the King, who quite likes and protects her. Clever. However, even his support is lost when there are some rumours of an illegitimate child that forces an official inquiry, which is known as the Delicate Investigation. Any Anything to it? Ultimately, no, but it does uh, quite severely censure her levity of conduct, which uh, led to the king informing her that she would no longer be received as an intimate in the family. Golly. That's proper um, family split, isn't it? Like Harry and all that lot. So it was inconclusive, or it was just revealed enough of her behaviour to George that he then... Yeah, so although the central charge, which is the very serious one of the child is isn't uh found to be true there's nevertheless plenty of evidence that her conduct yeah, is far from appropriate well, yeah. yeah so they're like look you you got off on this one but we know what you're up to and yeah things only get worse for caroline with uh, george's ascension to the regency in 1810 when he becomes mm-hmm. prince regent so high society now spurns her uh, and her and uh, access to her daughter is increasingly limited by george oh. So in 1814, Caroline negotiates with the Foreign Secretary, Castlereagh, uh, an annuity of £35,000 a year in return for her leaving the country and going into exile. Just knocking the whole lot on the head? Yeah, done with you guys. Off I go. Still officially married? Still officially or- married. Initially she goes to Brunswick, but after just six days there, uh, she found it deadly dull and full of dreary old spinsters. So instead headed for Italy and purchased a magnificent house on Lake Como. Good move. So, freed from the shackles of the English court, uh, she sets about entertaining herself in so raw as the fashion that most of her English servants return home. <laughs> Besides her party antics, she's most notorious for her relationship with Bartolomeo Pagami, who's a sort of pretend Milanese baron and veteran of the Napoleonic Wars, and described as being six feet high, with a magnificent head of black hair, pale complexion, and mustachios which reach from here to London. <laughs> what year are we in, then? We're in sort of 18, 15, 16, 17. Oh, right. So that's a really recent thing, the Napoleonic Wars. Yes, and that's why she's obviously able to properly travel about now, because mm. Napoleon is, uh, has been dealt with. Anyway, Pagami quickly rises from being just a basic servant to sort of head of the household, and it's widely believed that they are lovers. Yeah. So servants observing them uh, sitting very closely together on the sofa, imprints of two bodies having slept on Caroline's bed, etc., etc. Oh. Uh, she seems to fall completely under his spell, so they even uh, go on this grand tour of the East and end up going off to Jerusalem, and Caroline founds the Order of St. Caroline and makes Pagami the Order's Grand Master. That's the kind of crazy stuff that, yeah, <laughs> I imagine um, sort of wealthy widows go off <laughs> find a toy boy and uh, uh, explore Thailand. That's what I'd do. She's also troubled by debt, so she sells her house on Lake Coma and then relocates to a more modest, but still pretty large farmhouse in Pizarro on the East Coast. So uh, Bagami's mother, brother and daughter, though not his wife, uh, join them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they settle into a quite comfortable provincial life. Caroline expresses her satisfaction with her lot and writes in October 1817 that she's looking forward to becoming a grandmother. Wow. Just so, it's just so sort of recognisable in yeah. a weird way. <laughs> Tragically, however, Princess Charlotte dies uh, just a month later after giving birth to a stillborn son at the age of just 21. Uh. Uh, George doesn't even bother to write to Caroline, and Charlotte's husband was too grief-stricken to write for several weeks. And the only reason that Caroline finds out at all was that George had decided to write to the Pope, and the messenger happens to pass by Pizarro, and so is intercepted by her servants. No way. That, that's what an amazing way to find out. Understandably, Caroline um, is uh, devastated and seems to have lost all taste for politicking and English affairs. So Caroline, you know, seems that she's sort of done now, really. She's out there in Italy having a nice time. But George III finally dies in 1820. The now King George IV 
is determined that she will not become Queen Caroline, despite mm. the fact that they are still married. Now, he's kept her under surveillance in Italy, and in 1818 established the Milan Commission to gather evidence of her adultery, so that when he does become king, his first acts are to have her name removed from the Anglican liturgy, which a national prayer said for the royal family. But more importantly, he's got a bag of evidence so that the government can set about getting him a divorce. Have, when was the last divorce we had? Well, Henry. Henry, Henry would claim that he never got divorced. All those marriages were annulled. But yes, Henry. So this is a big deal then? Oh, yes. Yes. Now, unfortunately, uh, a divorce is more complicated than George has anticipated. An ecclesiastical court, which is the normal route, would be required to consider the fact that George himself has also been committing adultery and indeed, of course, bigamy, if you really want to look into it. Yeah. So we can't really go down that road. Uh, the 1351 Treason Act can't apply because Pagami is not a British citizen and the alleged infidelity took place abroad. Right. So they yeah. can't get on that. So the only option open to them is a bill of pain and penalties uh, where cases of alleged misconduct can't be prosecuted by the usual route. It's just a catch-all, you've been a naughty boy. Yeah. However, the government is deeply reluctant to go down this road because they know the public sympathy is very much with Caroline and both they and George are deeply unpopular. Mm. Now, a compromise probably should have been possible because uh, although she's very angry at moves to uh, deny her her rights, Caroline did want to stay in Italy and would have potentially been open to the government's offer of an annuity of £50,000 in return for staying out of the country. George was determined for a public trial. He wants to divorce her, deny her all rights, etc. But the government pressure probably might have worn him down. Unfortunately, Caroline's lawyer, the radical MP Henry Broom, rather complicated matters by trying to advance his career by sort of secretly pretending to be serving all three relevant parties, uh, which results in some crucial miscommunication along the way and uh, a deal not being struck. So um, we're really close to the French Revolution then and the English, uh, uh, British, um, King and Queen are deeply unpopular. Well, I mean, Caroline's not deeply unpopular. She's now king and government are unpopular. So the gov, but the government are trying to prop the king up because otherwise it's curtains for them as well. Yes, but the king is desperate to get a very sort of public trial and divorce, whereas the government's like, ah, that's that's going to go really badly. People like her; they hate us and you. Let's yeah, just, mm. yeah. Come on, George, play the game. Ultimately, Caroline flummoxes everybody and decides to make her way back to England and just fight her own corner regardless of these negotiations. Right. So she's denied the use of a royal yacht, so instead she comes on a standard uh, public ferry and arrives at Dover on the 5th of June 1820 to a rapturous welcome. Castle officer of Royal Salute of 21 Guns, and there are huge crowds of people cheering her on the streets, essentially all the way to London, which is in a frenzy of excitement. Wow. Because she enjoys huge popular support, but also her cause is adopted, perhaps rather cynically, by political radicals as a means to undermine, as you said, an already struggling government. So lots yeah. and lots of things all come together, and she is kind of the embodiment of all of these various strands. Now, this, of course, is exactly the situation the government had hoped to avoid. Mm. But the frenzied spectacle only serves to convince George that she must be stopped. Mm-hmm. So on the 17th of August, huge crowds at Westminster watched Caroline progress to the opening day of what became known as the Trial of Queen Caroline, where the lords were gathered to assess a most unbecoming and degrading intimacy commenced between her said Royal Highness and the said Bartolomeo Pagami. So that that's what these spies have been watching. They've been watching her with this fellow. Mm. So if the bill passes... The marriage will be dissolved, Caroline will be banished from Britain and deprived of all her royal titles, so she won't be queen. And funds. And funds, yes, and money, yes. Got right book then. Well, yeah. Now, having failed to secure a settlement for George and Caroline and the government, now that it had come to actual trial, politician Broom gives way to lawyer Broom, i.e. Caroline's right. lawyer, and he is a force to be reckoned with in this guise. So the government's witnesses are all ill-educated Italian servants who aren't seen as being entirely credible witnesses by the lords. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are certainly no match for Broom's rhetorical skills. So uh, Theodore Majocchi related some damning anecdotes to the government lawyer, but under questioning from Broom is completely undone. So he repeats the phrase, non mi ricordo, I do not remember, over 200 times. 
which becomes something of a running national joke. You can imagine the memes yeah. nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elsewhere, Broome's able to demonstrate that many of the witnesses have been bribed by the government to speak ill of Caroline. Right. And after a three-week recess, Broome gives a masterly speech containing all of these aspects and also emphasising the cruelty and profligacy of George IV, who sought to divorce his wife for misconduct when his own misconduct in the first case was the occasion of her fall. It's nice. Nicely put. Because obviously the only reason she's in Italy is because he's Mm. basically forced her out. Now, technically, the bill does pass in the House of Lords, but with increasingly small majorities. So, fully aware that it stands absolutely no chance of succeeding in the Commons, the government chooses to withdraw the bill. Caroline has won. Yeah, it's a a pretty hollow victory though, isn't it? Right, we can go home together now, darling. (laughs) There are widespread celebrations, uh, public meetings, illuminations, bonfires, and a spot of mob violence, for good measure. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it's a really good, really good day when that happens. Her supporters organised a Thanksgiving service for her at St Paul's Cathedral on the first Sunday after the trial, and despite it being a wet and foggy day, her carriage is accompanied by 500 horsemen and a crowd of 50,000 people line the route. Wow. Now, this is very much the peak of her popularity, but what goes up, of course, must come down. The revelations of her conduct see her lose respect from many of her supporters, and there's an inevitable sense of fatigue of the whole affair. So everybody's had their fun. Uh, The government and the king have received a bloody nose, but now what? Mm. So a contemporary Mm. rhyme reflected how the public mood was shifting. Most gracious queen, we thee implore to go away and sin no more, or if that effort be too great, to go away at any rate. Wow. So everyone's just sick of it all now? Yeah. Does that? I've never. What's an equivalent of that? I can't. Coronavirus. <laughs> we we loved that at first, but then after a few weeks. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Never like that. Or just think of it like um, I don't know, like a someone that becomes a major, like a major celebrity who can do no wrong and is just everywhere. And you think, how many weeks will it be before the papers start trying to bring them down yeah. a peg? Like um, oh, who was it that did? Uh, Changing rooms. Linda Barker. <laughs> she was absolutely everywhere. <laughs> flogging sofas. Well, her radical allies wanted to use the momentum to attack the government further, but Caroline doesn't actually have any interest in any of their ideology, and she accepts instead a renewed offer of £50,000 from the government in return for leaving the country. Which the supporters this see is like as something the for betrayal. <laughs> giving us some jam. Playing them with jam. Yeah. yeah, she keeps coming back, get more money, go back to Italy. <laughs> Great job. But her supporters see this as a betrayal. Oh, yeah. Because she's just taking the money and running. Um, however, she's not quite done yet, because rather than immediately return to Italy, she decided instead to stay for the coronation, more particularly to receive a coronation. Oh, no. She's the queen, she wants a crown. Oh, no. This is, of course, completely out of the question as far as George is concerned, so Caroline is barred from attending, but obviously she rocks up anyway. Yeah. Knocking on doors and demanding to be let in. To her own coronation? Well, I mean, it's it's not meant to be her own coronation, but that's what she wants to make it. She is. She is queen, isn't she? She is the queen. I like it when they get tied up with with the magic rules that are made. (laughs) However, eventually, even she loses her nerve when the doors will not open, and she returns to her carriage, where the once cheering crowds now turn on her, booing and hissing as she makes her retreat. Oh. It's a spectacle too far. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we've had our fun. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> In contrast, George gets a rapturous welcome at the coronation, uh, and indeed it's a great success for him. It was intended to rival that of Napoleon's coronation as Emperor of France 17 years earlier, and George very much fancies himself as a rival to Napoleon, though tellingly two months earlier when Sir Edmund Nagel came to inform him of Napoleon's death, when Nagel told him, Sir, your bitterest enemy is dead, George replied, Is she by God? Oh yes, that's this fellow. However, just a couple of weeks after the coronation, Caroline is taken uh, ill after attending uh, Drury Lane Theatre with violent abdominal pains, and it soon becomes clear that she is in fact dying. Oh dear. So she prepares herself, sitting up for hours with a servant burning various incriminating documents, uh, including, tragically, her memoirs. 
Oh no! Imagine. Oh, imagine what they'd been like. <laughs> I know. I mean, if your final hours are spent burning stuff, I want to read those memoirs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're dead. Leave the memoirs. Ah. Oh. Uh, she shows great fortitude, insisting that I won't die without pain, but I will die without regret. Oh, that's nice. So she uh, forgives her enemies, makes out her will, and then dies on the 7th of August, 1821, at the age of 53. Uh, she still has one final flourish from beyond the grave, though. She requested that her coffin have the inscription, Here lies Caroline of Brunswick, the injured Queen of England. Uh, that's not good, though, because that, people might in the future might think that's because that's how she died. <laughs> That's rubbish. I told you I was injured. Of course you're injured, exactly, yeah. They're really badly injured. <laughs> but you should yeah, have a little, um, one of those, like, insert word here, really, mortally. <laughs> well, the government insists that this will not be done until she's out of the country, because she's going back to Brunswick, and they want her gone as soon as possible and just get this out of the way and done once and for all. Uh, they mm. try to avoid, uh, for the funeral cortege, all the areas of London where she enjoys quite a lot of radical support. Uh However, Caroline's supporters block the planned route. Two men are killed in a standoff with troops and they're forced to let the cortege go through central London as they'd wanted to avoid. And she gets a big old send-off from her supporters before then ultimately being buried in Brunswick. Oh, that's nice. So that was the life and consortship of Caroline of Brunswick. We will review her after a break. Battleliness! From a young age, Caroline lived life very much according to her own rules. So, reportedly, when asked by her tutor in what country a lion is to be found, Caroline's answer was, in the heart of a Brunswicker. (laughs) And she also declared that a Brunswicker dare do anything. Fear is a word of which a Brunswicker is ignorant. Funny how everyone has the same claims. (laughs) Uh, All the same areas, all the different areas. And she very much takes this with her throughout her life, so she always gives as good as she gets. So uh, when a reconciliation with George was being negotiated, Caroline refused to accept anything other than George's mistress, Lady Jersey, being removed from her household, Mm. which she does ultimately secure. When George put severe restrictions on her movements, uh, Caroline marched up to him in Carlton House, uh, declared that she had been treated as neither his wife, the mother of his child, nor as Princess of Wales, and gave him notice that she had nothing more to say to him and no longer considered herself subject to his orders. Fair enough. And that obviously thus pushes him into acknowledging their separation and her freedom from his control. Yeah. George sought to limit Caroline's access to their daughter Charlotte and, on becoming Prince Regent, reduced her to just fortnightly visits. Now, Charlotte was also increasingly unhappy at the restrictions being placed on her by George, so Caroline takes this battle public, so publishes a letter to George, which he'd ignored in private, lamenting the deep wounds which so cruel an arrangement inflicts upon my feelings, cut off from one of the very few domestic enjoyments left to me, the society of my child. Awful. So coming in 1813, it coincides with uh, the death of Caroline's own mother, and all of this just seeks to you know, build up her support in the PR battle against mm. George. Uh, so Jane Austen responded to this. Poor woman. I shall support her as long as I can, because she is a woman and because I hate her husband. <laughs> yeah. The key battle, of course, was claiming her right to be queen, so the government, Caroline's own lawyer, all they all try to stop her coming to England, but she rejects the offer of an annuity when it is said to come without the title of queen, telling mm. them, the recognition of her rank and privileges as queen must be the basis of any arrangement which can be made. I mean, it's fair enough, because she is, right? Unless, unless, she's gonna get divor- unless they're going to get divorced, she is. And before they have a chance to respond to her rejecting those terms, she takes them all by surprise by getting on that ferry, returning to England to a hero's welcome. Yeah. And it's all gone rather wrong. As one government minister lamented, Before our arrival, she had organised everything for stage effect. On this occasion, we have been entirely outgeneraled, and she has completely succeeded in all her plans. Hmm. Once back in England, she kicks up a right old storm that led many to fear that uh, it could completely destabilise the government. She were talking about yeah, the well context, you know, yeah. French Revolution, etc. Uh, Lady Jerningham recorded, This country is, I fear, nearer disaster than it has been since the days of Charles I. 
a constant mob cheering for her and for two nights past breaking every window which did not illuminate. Yeah, I mean, she loves chaos, doesn't she? Mm. she there's something of the um, of Heath Ledger's Joker about her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as well as um, Linda Barker. <laughs> <laughs> Many contemporary diaries are filled with references to Catherine the Great, who took power from her husband thanks to the support of the army. Uh, and indeed, some soldiers laid down their arms when they're meant to be restoring order. Others are offered free ale and meat if they drink to their health. So the Duke of Wellington has to reorganise the troops to ensure that proper order is maintained. So this is really close to an uprising then? Whether it's actually close, probably not. But definitely there is this sort of sense of hysteria and a worry among many as to where this will actually all lead. Yeah. Because even it doesn't even need to be ultimately that they uprise in her favour. It just needs to be that you get a mob that's sufficiently worked up that something will set them that's off. True. Now, her final and most spectacular show of defiance comes with the coronation, which George had delayed for nearly 18 months specifically to prevent her being in attendance because he thought he'd have had his divorce by then. Mm. So on the day, he hires prize fighters as effectively bouncers. To secure the doors from either Caroline or indeed the mob. He's got an army. Why does he need like prize fighters? <laughs> well, I guess you want to maintain the sort of the sense of decorum and all that sort of thing. But equally, he's like maybe just some of the page boys can be a little buffer than normal. Mm. Caroline teased George and the Prime Minister, Lord Liverpool, politely inquiring ahead of the coronation what clothes she should wear, what ladies would be carrying her train, etc. Hmm. Um, but the Prime Minister uh, dismisses the notion to, to uh, George that she would actually attend the threat is an empty threat which the Queen evidently has not the power of carrying into execution so she's being referred to as the Queen though well yeah because the bill didn't go through so <laughs> that must really queen. rankle every time though <laughs> yes as your Majesty knows the Queen <laughs> oh, yeah this is a Henry situation then. And of course, to uh, to the coronation she does indeed go. Door after door was closed to her, but she does then find an entrance by Poet's Corner, where a mm. nervous young man told her, It is my duty to announce to your majesty that there is no place in the abbey prepared for your majesty. She just turns around? Well, one witness, eyewitness, described the encounter. I caught a glimpse of her standing behind the door on her own ten toes with the crossed bayonets of the sentry under her chin. She was raging and storming and vociferating. Let me pass. I am your queen. I am queen of Britain. Mm. Mm. Uh, the guard asked Caroline for her ticket. <laughs> uh, at which Caroline was aghast. Did you ever hear of a queen being asked for a ticket before? This is your queen. Am I to understand that you prevent me from entering the Abbey? It is farcical, isn't it? The whole situation. I mean, that really is as close as we're going to get to, do you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The answer is yes, very much so. That That's the problem. There's literally a you picture of that's you the problem. Yeah. with a set of instructions. Uh, eventually, the Deputy Lord Chamber, uh, Chamberlain shouted out, do your duty, shut the hall door. And a mass of pages rush over and... Uh, Shut her out. That is, in the least polite way possible, just being told to sod off. So it's all very fun and exciting. Loads of agency and uh, chutzpah and whatnot. But also quite easy to miss the fact that, to a large extent, she does actually lose most of these battles in the end. So she is essentially kicked out of the royal family. She does pretty much lose contact with her daughter. And indeed, she isn't crowned. No. The one bit she did win, though, was what the papers would these days would decry as the courtroom drama of the century or yes, the battle exactly. of whatever. She does win that. She does get to be queen, even if she isn't crowned. Yeah. That's what she was fighting for, right? Yeah. She wins and then is about to retire in, into that sunset of glory, but unfortunately then <laughs> falls poorly. So I think it's pretty good. But it's just petty. It's just petulant, isn't it? <laughs> There is a lot of petulance. But, you know, she's uh, she's treated poorly by George and she fights back. Oh, and, um, and it's fighting petulance with petulance is the thing. Yeah. But somehow it doesn't feel monumental. But you've got this sort of rabble riot and it's, it's such a febrile time. I think it is. <laughs> or 
people were just super bored after what was the longest rain in the century <laughs> on a bit of um bit of drama. It's definitely an extent to which, you know, it's an excuse yeah. to protest about lots of different things that they're upset with. But, you know, that that's, a, I guess, that's a separate thing, really. I mean, for her, we're looking at her battliness, her agency, her independence of action, her fighting spirit, etc. Yeah, which is really good. Hmm. She goes back to Brunswick, does not like it one bit. Where shall I go? Yes, boss, Como. <laughs> <laughs> so she's extremely... Um, battle in her personality but the causes to which she chooses to put it towards don't feel <laughs> monumental enough it's not like it's <laughs> Anne Boleyn type yes. thing uh, and the way she deploys those abilities is petulant mm. but it is really battly isn't it <laughs> seven eight yeah I'm thinking eight yeah eight as well she's very much fighting her corner and uh, quite a few times we see where they maybe underestimate her a bit or think, oh, this will just go away. Yeah, it's got to be eight, isn't it? That 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 moment where she decides, well, what shall I do? I'll just what no one thinks she'll do is charge back to England. <laughs> and then, look, she's not actually going to just turn up to the coronation uninvited, is she? Yeah. Anyway, an eight from you, an eight from me, sixteen in total for battleliness. Scandal. Now, incredibly, I did actually skirt over quite a lot of the scandalous detail when we did her biography. Yeah, it was all just big parties and stuff and no specifics. So while she was still in Brunswick as a sort of teenager and young uh, early 20s, she was considered excessively loose. And Queen Charlotte of Britain actually warned her own brother off marrying her just before George uh, proposed, having heard reports of Caroline having to be escorted at all times to prevent her making an exhibition of herself by indecent conversations with men. All her amusements have been forbidden her because of her indecent conduct. Wow. Caroline herself later claimed that her father prevented her marrying someone of low status, with contemporaries apparently having noted that she'd been very taken with a handsome Irishman. Hmm. Came to visit. And it was even rumoured that as a teenager she visited peasant boy in his cottage and uh, became pregnant as a result. Rumour. Rumour, probably not true, but... It's, uh, it is all adding to a picture and a reputation which sort of does add yeah. to the scandal. Once she actually comes to England and marries, when she gets her own establishment after the separation, she very much goes to town on the partying, or rather the town comes to her. Many people who attend her soirees are shocked at her personal habits, so she's seen sitting on the floor, gossiping openly about various scandals, eating raw onions and drinking ale, or oil, as she pronounced it. Why? Why did she pronounce it strangely? Oh, well, she she has a very strong accent, I think. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Why aren't they speaking properly? What's wrong with them? <laughs> All these German people are speaking a different language, would you believe? Uh, um, that's odd. She was thought recklessly indiscreet and vulgar. Lord Holland declared her a very worthless woman. Lady Bessborough thought her levity inconceivable while Lady Hester Stanhope described her as a downright whore. Mary Berry, a funnily name for us, uh, lamented one evening of one evening, such an exhibition, such an overdressed, bare-bosomed, painted, eyebrowed figure one never saw. Well, now I knew Mary Berry was old, but <laughs> come off it, you know what I mean? <laughs> She's also rumoured to have taken numerous prominent lovers, uh, the future Prime Minister, George Canning, uh, the oh, yeah. artist, Thomas Lawrence, uh, Admiral Sir Sidney Smith, who apparently realised that he'd been discarded when he observed her playing footsie with one com uh, Captain Thomas Manby at a, right. at a soiree. Uh, now, none of this makes particularly serious waves until Caroline falls out with one of her erstwhile friends and neighbours, Lord and Lady Douglas, mm. and fell out in such a strong way that it prompted Lady Douglas to make an extraordinary revelation. The princess came to my house alone. She said she came to tell me something that had happened to her and desired me to guess. I guessed several things, and at last I said I could not guess anything more. She then said that she was pregnant. She never told me who was the father of the child. She said she hoped it would be a boy, and she said that if it was discovered, she would give the Prince of Wales the credit of being the father, for she had slept two nights at Carlton House within the year. She, strikes, she reminds me of, like, an it girl from the 90s who's struggling massively with uh, some mental health issue and 
as a drug addict, but everyone thinks it's really fun. She's just on this mm. uh, massively publicised bender. Uh, I need some help. So, sure enough, after Lady Douglas had given birth herself, because she was also pregnant, Caroline then invites her round and shows her a baby, uh, William Austin, and saying, there is the child. I had him only two days after I saw you. Okay, Caroline. Now, no a male problem. baby passed off as being fathered by George would have trumped Princess Charlotte in the line of succession. Yeah. So, you know, if that's true, if that was true, that she had had this illegitimate son and pretends it's George's, you know, we're talking high treason here. This is the kind of thing that keeps Henry VIII up at night. <laughs> yeah. No, no one can, will take her seriously. Well, an official investigation does, of course, have to take place. It's a pretty serious <laughs> allegation, if mm. true. Um, but it finds and establishes that, in fact, William Austin is not Caroline's child. Indeed, they're able to speak to the mother. So he is just one of several children sort of from deprived families that Caroline just adopts, basically. She seems to really yeah. like children. But it's for, it seems to just be an example of Caroline delighting in shocking people. Yeah, for which she did from an early age. Mm. But still, it's an astonishing thing to have claimed, even if it isn't actually true. I mean, these are not personality traits that make for a stable monarchy. After all of this, of course, she then goes rollicking off around Europe. Totally good. So she's often seen at balls, gambling parties, suppers, refusing to go to bed at the proper hour, ordering musicians to keep playing until daybreak. Uh, frequently inappropriately dressed. So in Geneva, she rode to a ball in a phaeton a special type of carriage and it's built for her to look like a seashell while she herself has bright red face paint on with a pink hat very low cut bodice and short white skirt it's one of two things she's either having an absolute riot <laughs> or she it's and in which case she's having the brilliant she's having the best time <laughs> or she needs some desperate intervention <laughs> In Athens, she dressed almost naked and danced with her servants, while on another occasion she appeared in public with half a pumpkin on her head. And when asked why, she claimed that the weather was hot and nothing kept the head so cool and comfortable as a pumpkin. I bet there's something in that, you know. <laughs> you, I, I thought she was mad, but you know what? <laughs> you put cabbage leaves on your head. That's very cooling in the, in the middle of the summer. And actually, I've made a pumpkin hat in your presence before. Oh, yes, yes. I have a picture of you with a pumpkin on your head. And I can well imagine it. It's insulated, it's damp. I'm behind it. Caroline seems to have subscribed to the adage that my enemy's enemy is my friend. So for a time, she starts seeking out members of the Bonaparte family. So she actually visits Napoleon's former confinement, his palace on Elba, uh, makes a visit to his brother Lucien. But most impressively of all, she found herself at a ball with Napoleon's second wife, Marie-Louise. And the two exiled queens apparently sang a duet together. So a sort of 19th century drunken royal karaoke. <laughs> oh, I'd love to know what they sang. Ultimately, however, it is her relationship with uh, Bartolomeo Pagami that's the true scandal mm. of her time on the continent. All these sort of previous affairs and names that we've mentioned are just rumours, but here we've got evidence in a bag of full-blown affair with a mere servant. Mm. Some of the evidence, for the first time, Caroline's adopted son, the aforementioned William Austin, was barred from sleeping in her room whilst Pagami apparently officially slept in an adjoining room to Caroline's in order that he could protect her from robbers, which had not previously been a concern prior to mm -hmm. his arrival. He was seen in her rooms while she was bathing, and one mm. Giuseppe Rastelli claimed that he saw the princess's hand in Pagami's breeches. Golly. What was he doing looking in there? <laughs> <laughs> Theodore Majocchio recalled that they directed a tent on board a ship while sailing in the Bay of Naples, in which the two of them slept, and he was apparently in the quarters below where he described hearing the creaking of a bench. What does that mean? You know, the... Uh... When Theodore entered Westminster to give evidence in the trial, apparently Caroline exclaimed, Theodore, no, no, and then ran out, which many thought was perhaps indicative of a certain amount of guilt. <laughs> <laughs> now, technically, of course, the bill didn't pass. It ultimately was withdrawn. But it's worth noting that most of the lords did actually think she was guilty. It was only political expediency that meant that it didn't ultimately go through. So as Charles Knight, the editor of the Times, noted, She was an injured wife, although I could not doubt that she was a depraved woman. Yeah. So that's quite a CV when it comes to scandal. It is. 
And, you know, we've, and we're not going to go into detail because we've done it already, but, you know, even things like the spectacle of her, you know, knocking on the doors of Westminster Abbey for the coronation is not unscandalous. I mean, that would be massive on its own, usually. Yeah. I'm trying to think what um, uh, who we've given 10 for before. Um, and I'm wondering whether my Anne Boleyn clause comes into effect here. Eleanor of Aquitaine, Isabella of Angoulême, John's wife, Isabella of France, whoever to her husband, Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard. Well, I think I think she could belong in that pantheon. I mean, we've got adultery, wide, potentially widespread adultery, a trial to consider it, in which most people think are guilty. We've got her going around telling people that she's conceived a son and he's going to pass it off as being well there's a lot of insanity stuff in there as well yeah or like that edge of mania that uh, she has in her personality that i've got i think it's got to be 10 isn't it yeah i think so as well if you had your yeah. scandal bell you'd have broken it so 10 from you 10 for me 20 for scandal subjectivity caroline enjoyed remarkable popularity and then of course when she comes back as queen in 1820 she was a subject of over 350 addresses of support at various sort of official meetings across the country as well as over 800 petitions with nearly a million signatures wow which is a lot harder to do when it requires a bit more actual physical writing on a petition rather than just clicking a link yeah yeah on twitter yeah there's there's no avars or whatever it's called here is there (laughs) She was backed by many major newspapers, radical politicians, large swathes of the public, particularly the working classes and women. Contemporaries amazed at the scenes as she made her progress to London. William Hazlitt observed, It was the only question I've ever known that excited a thorough popular feeling. It struck its roots into the heart of the nation. It took possession of every house or cottage in the kingdom. Yeah, I mean, it does. It feels like it's, it's the news story of the day after it's just them having a field day. But it's, it's, and as a consequence, terrifically familiar. Hmm. What are we doing? Scandal? No, subjectivity now. So in the, the, oh, right, the yeah. positive in this is the, po- the popularity. Mobs cheer her name, chanting, no queen, no king. Apparently even the Duke of Wellington was jeered when he declared himself a king's man. Though he was able to win the crowd round when, after being obliged to say, God save the queen, he then added, and may all your wives be like her. And he's at the height of his popularity, isn't he? Well, yeah, this is just post-Waterloo, and even he's getting a boo for... (laughs) Golly. Caroline is highly adroit at encouraging and manipulating this public opinion, though her best quip was one made privately, where she stated that she never committed adultery but once, and that was with Mrs Fitzherbert's husband. But she wasn't married before... Oh, I see, ha! Oh, (laughs) very good. (laughs) Now, it's easy to fall for Caroline's PR and see her entirely as the wronged woman valiantly resisting palace machinations and that's sort of true but equally the flip side is she's extremely selfish oh god yeah particularly we see this in her relationship with her daughter charlotte so you know she does fight for access uh, to charlotte and you know does obviously care for her but equally does sometimes feel like it's more of a weapon in the ongoing battle rather than just for the sake of seeing charlotte in yeah. and of itself and charlotte was devastated by caroline's sudden departure going into exile just at the point at which charlotte was struggling with her father over where she was going to go and she had actually absconded at one point to her mother mm. and then suddenly her mother's just like no no i'm off uh so charlotte said she decidedly deserts me i must say what goes most to my heart for after all she is my mother is the indifferent manner of her taking leave of me hmm uh, and Charlotte, after this, revealed to George and one of her aunts that in 1813, um, her mother had encouraged her to be friendly with Captain Hess, who was quite possibly one of Caroline's uh, lovers at the time, and on one occasion actually left them alone in a bedroom, locked the door, and encouraged her to have some fun. So there's a bit of abuse going on in there as well. Now, thankfully, the captain behaved respectfully and nothing untoward occurred, but pretty, pretty shameful stuff from Caroline, if, you know, scheming against George by compromising their daughter or just so completely unable to <laughs> understand rights and wrongs wow. of the morals here that I can so I sort of feel like I know this character mm. um and that you can't have them with power mm. even when Charlotte died although Caroline was generally devastated her first reaction does also note that this how this will affect her position in England now that she's no longer mother of the future queen mm 
Now, I'm sure you won't mind, Ali, the fact that we've not had lots of detail about Caroline founding churches or commissioning great works of art or patronising charities, etc. But equally, the fact is that barring her slightly odd habit of taking in deprived children, she doesn't really do anything that suggests that she was anything but completely inappropriate for a queen consort. It's not really anything particularly laudable or... No, not at all. I mean, the weird thing is George's behaviour is deplorable, Mm. but so is hers. Mm. Um, And you can see both points of view. And if they'd have just not had each other as each other's target, they would have been fine. The archaeologist William Gell, who served as Caroline's Chamberlain, actually spoke for her at the trial, uh, said of her... Although she is a very good sort of person in some respects, she is as mad as a March hare in others. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good subjectivity. I mean, there's the fun of that procession, but two? I'm not even sure if I give her anything for subjectivity. I sort of feel like they... She got got her fun in scandal and battleiness. Yeah, maybe that's right. I just can't help but think there's something there because of the way she was cheered. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there. the flip side is that clearly up until, you know, the coronation where maybe she pushed it a bit far, she was very, very popular. So, you know, actually, to be fair, for a good 20-odd years, if you ask people, do you want to be subject yeah. to the Queen? The answer is, yes, she's great. The Prince Regent's awful. Look how badly he treats her. And that is true, but also... And she wouldn't have done half this stuff if he hadn't sort of pushed her to it. But there's no cause. There's, it's just yeah. her... Yeah, all right, zero. Longevity. Caroline is queen from the 29th of January, 1820, to the 7th of August, 1821. <laughs> so she's bound to George for a long time, Princess of Wales for a while, but only one and a half years as queen, mm. which gives her a score of two, which is the 52nd best overall. Out of 60, is it? Uh, well, she's only head of three of the six wives of Henry VIII, four Saxons, <laughs> and a couple of slightly anomalous ones. George will be pleased with that. <laughs> Dynasty, not the program. Of course, the tragic death of Princess Charlotte means that Caroline uh, had no legitimate surviving children, which means a score of zero. So overall, that gives her a total score of 38. So that puts her currently in 32nd uh, place overall. That's not bad. That must be the highest score for the shortest reign, isn't it? Uh, yeah, quite possible, actually, yeah. Only two years. Though, as I said, you know, most of her score, obviously, we're scoring her for time before she was actually queen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I say there's very little when she's queen, but of course, actually, there's quite a lot when she's queen. <laughs> the coronation, the trial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When it really starts, because it's, it's just very normal Charlotte behaviour, but it just gets magnified more. Yeah. However, of course, it is not all about the score. Does she have that certain something, that lasting legacy, the great achievement, the star quality that we call... Rex Factor! Yeah. In that list, it's no, no, yes. I can't remember Mm. how many I listed there. But, yeah, lasting legacy, absolutely not. Definitely nothing. Mm. Great achievement, not really. Yeah. Uh, but star quality, she definitely does have. I sort of feel like we need to have a bad one, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I've called every single consort this series, Charlotte of... Um, Me- what is it? <laughs> Caroline of Brunswick. Brunswick. <laughs> <laughs> Charlotte of Mecklenburg right, is never out of my mind. So, she has got that star quality. She's the <laughs> most well-known of this run, I'd say. Is that star quality enough to... Has she got enough in that bit of pie to fill us up? That's the question, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's very entertaining, you know, that epic struggle with George IV, free-flowing scandal all across you know, England and Europe, trial grips the nation. Um, but is it all a bit hollow, I suppose, is the question. It like is. You were saying. It's all a bit petty and personal. It's this little flare-up. Is it, even though it sort of is spread across 20 years, but in a way it does feel like it properly culminates in that spell in 1820 and is it really like a sort of celebrity getting this incredible 15 minutes of fame and then Mm. gone yeah that's it It, it, it's um oh oh now you've put it like that definitely an argument to be made for saying that it's just such a rollicking brilliant entertaining fun that that in Mm. itself is something i mean my gut was yes Mm. i i'd be happy with a split decision (laughs) 
if you say no, I'll stick with my gut. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be your uh, your honest honest appraisal of the Rex Factor. Well, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna honour my gut and say yes. Um because it was just it was crackerjack at a very, very um volatile point in history. It was very, very noteworthy. It's very it's full of star quality. My concern with my own consistency is that, you know, one of the ones I mentioned as a, a twenty Isabella of Angoulême, who's John's wife, I didn't give the Rex Factor, and she was kind of this chaotic, entertaining mm. one that just went around causing lots of issues and problems for everybody. I suppose mm. the difference with Isabella of Angoulême was that almost everything she did was after John had died, and she was an absent queen mother who'd sort of just become this figure in Europe that technically was a queen mother but didn't actually really have much tie to England other than occasionally causing it trouble. Whereas the whole of Caroline's experience, she is, you know, Princess of Wales and then, despite George's best efforts, Queen. Mm. I I think I am sufficiently tempted by the chaos. I'm I'm not going to go for uh, Linda Barker. Heath Ledger's the Joker, I think, is the better yeah. of the, uh, the analogies. I just think it's just this complete rogue, chaotic element that she's not a good queen. She's barely a queen at all. It's only a year and a half that she's there and she just spends the entire time. I mean, I suppose you're fair. Like, she's only there for 18 months and there is absolutely nothing going on apart from Queen Caroline for that 18 months. Yeah. So for the chaos, I am going to say yes to Caroline of Brunswick. She has the Rex Factor. Well done. Well done, Caroline. Correspondence Corner. So that was Caroline of Brunswick. Let us know what you thought about her. As we said, find us on Twitter, x at rexfactorpod. Email rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com and go to rexfactorpodcast.com for more information. And remember to send in a hashtag consult card for an episode image for Caroline. I'm looking forward to doing that. If you'd like to support the podcast, be sure to subscribe. Whatever podcast provider you use, donate monthly to join the Privy Council and get access to over 250 bonus episodes at patreon.com forward slash rexfactor. And we have some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the fold. Claire Knight, Gemma Edwards, Tits McGee, Emily Daggett, Will Bradshaw, Amy Russell, Lauren Jones, Laura Eldridge, Loretta Bridges, Charisse Calvert, Justin Shostall, Courtney, Jennifer Brandt, Brooke Schubert, Caroline Rennie, Kirsten Waller, Kate Levasseur, Katie Brown, Trisha Jones, Hal the Legionnaire, Mike McNamara, Michael David Eden, Ethan, Liz Burdick, and Sarah Knowlton. Kirsten Waller. I'd love that. Kirsten <laughs> Waller Waller Bing Bong. <laughs> oh, I'd have to... Oh, I wish I knew someone called Waller. <laughs> uh, well, that's it for us today. Uh, next time, we will be reviewing the consort of William IV, Adelaide of Saxon-Meiningen. Possibly a slightly different character. Cheerio!